Uh, we're turning for our Bible reading to the Gospel of Mark, to Mark in the chapter 12, and we read together at the verse 1, and read some verses down into the chapter. So Mark the chapter 12, and the verse 1. And he began to speak unto them by parables. A certain man planted a vineyard, and set an hedge about it, and digged a place for the wine fat, and built a tower, and let it out to husbandmen, and went into a far country. And at the season he sent to the husbandmen a servant, that he might receive from the husbandmen of the fruit of the vineyard. And they caught him, and beat him, and cast him away empty. And again he sent on to them another servant, and at him they cast stones, and wounded him in the head, and sent him away shamefully handled. And again he sent another, and him they killed, and many others, beating some, and killing some. Having yet therefore one son, his well-beloved, he sent him also last unto them, saying, They will reverence my son. But those husbandmen said among themselves, This is the heir, come, and let us kill him, and the inheritance shall be ours. And they took him, and killed him, and cast him out of the vineyard. What shall therefore the Lord of the vineyard do? He will come and destroy the husbandmen, and will give the vineyard unto others. And have ye not read this scripture? The stone which the builders rejected is become the head of the corner. This was the Lord's doing, and it is marvellous in our eyes. And they sought to lay hold on him, but feared the people, for they knew that he had spoken the parable against them, and they left him and went their way. Amen. We'll end our reading there at the first 12. Now we'll look to the Lord again just in a wee word of prayer and ask the Lord for his help as we come to meditate on his word. Our God and our Father, we bow before thee, and we enter into thy presence again through Christ, and Lord, we are seeking thee now that as we would come to thy word, that thou would have us to know that closing in with thee. And pray, O God, that thou would take away from us everything that would distract us, Lord, every thought that would lead us away from what is before us. And pray, O God, that thou would have the word to be applied to our hearts tonight. Help me, Lord, in the preaching of the word. Give to me that clarity of mind, and give to me that plainness of speaking. Pray that thou would lead me, Lord, that thou would have me to know that help from the sanctuary tonight, that we might speak well of Christ. And, O Lord, we pray tonight that if there are those in the meeting that are unsaved, that tonight they will see Christ, and that they will be compelled by the Spirit of God to throw themselves upon him, for salvation. Help us, Lord, we pray. Be with us, Lord, to this end. 
For we ask it in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Now the words that we want to look at in particular tonight are the words that are found in the first 10 through to the first 12. And there we read in the first 10 of this chapter 12 of Matthew, And have ye not read the scripture? The stone which the builders rejected is become the head of the corner. This was the Lord's doing, and it is marvellous in our eyes. And they sought to lay hold on him, but feared the people, for they knew that he had spoken the parable against them, and they left him and went their way. Now, these verses here, the verses 10, 11, and 12, they bring to a conclusion this parable that the Lord Jesus Christ told. It was about a man who planted a vineyard, and then he leased it out to a consortium of men who would look after it and who would produce the wine from the grapes. The contract that was agreed with these men was very simple. When the harvest was completed, the owner would uh, send someone to receive a portion of the fruit that was produced in the vineyard. And in keeping with that agreement, we see here that the owner sent a servant uh, to collect uh, his part. But the husbandmen who looked after the vineyard, they beat the servant and they sent him away empty. Another servant was sent, uh, but they killed him. And so it continued uh, until the owner sent his son. He had one son, his only son. And we read here, he was his beloved son. And the mind of uh, the owner of the vineyard was simply that they will see my son, they will recognize who he is, and they will have respect for him, they will reverence him, and all will be well. And they will give to him what really is mine. But that is not how it worked out. Because in the reading of this parable we can see that they killed that young man. Though he was the uh, son of the owner, uh, they cast him out. And now when we come to the verse 9, the question is asked there, uh, What shall therefore the Lord of the vineyard do? After the way that these men treated his servants, uh, casting them out, stoning them, killing some of them, and then the way that they treated his son by killing his son, the question is, what will this uh, owner of the vineyard do? And common justice, of course, would say that these men must be punished. And it is agreed that these men should be punished because of their deeds. In the verses that we read together from the first 10 through to the first 12, <clears throat> those verses that are in reality our text, we can see something of the meaning of this parable. We have the application of the parable. 
the owner's only beloved son is pointing to, is representing the Lord Jesus Christ, who is the eternal Son of God. And the behavior of the husbandman towards his son is pointing to, and it speaks of the general behavior of people towards the Lord Jesus Christ. Christ is to be found here in these verses. This only son, this beloved son, is speaking of and is pointing to, he is a picture of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now with that in mind, I want you to see, first of all, the prominence of Christ. In the verse 10 there we read, And have you not read the scripture? And the Lord is pointing back here to the Psalm 118, and he's quoting from it. And there we read, he shall, uh, there we read, the stone which the builders rejected is become the head of the corner. So the Lord Jesus Christ here is spoken of as the stone. That is how he is referred to in that portion of scripture back there in the Psalm 118. The Lord Jesus Christ, he is the stone. Now to get the full significance of this, we need to go back into the Old Testament. And I want you to turn to Isaiah, and to the chapter 28. And in the chapter 28 and the verse 16, we have a prophecy here relating to the Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore thus saith the Lord God, Behold, I lay in Zion for a foundation a stone, a tried stone, a precious cornerstone, a sure foundation. He that believeth shall not make haste. And so we have the Lord Jesus Christ here in both the New Testament and in the Old Testament. He is referred to as the stone. I want you to see that in the Old Testament here, in that reference Isaiah 28, the first 16, we read, He is the foundation stone. Behold, I lay in Zion for a foundation stone, a tried stone, a precious cornerstone, a sure foundation. And you will see that he is also called there a cornerstone. So that there are two references here. To the Lord Jesus Christ, the stone, he is a foundation stone, he is the cornerstone. When we look back there into Mark in the chapter 12, you can see that there he is called the cornerstone also. The stone which the builders rejected is become the head of the corner. So the Lord Jesus Christ is set before us as the stone as the foundation stone, as the headstone, or if you like, the cornerstone. Both uh, will uh, speak of the same thing. He is the foundation stone, tried, precious, and sure. Now Christ is both the foundation and he is the head of the church. And that is what we are learning here from Uh, These references to Christ. He is the foundation of the church. And he is the head of the church. 
He is the foundation. We read in the scripture uh, of the Lord Jesus Christ being the foundation. It says over there in 1 Corinthians 3 and 11, For other foundations can no man lay than that is laid, which is Jesus Christ. There is no other foundation, no other foundation, my friend, for the Christian life but Christ. No other foundation for a hope of heaven save Christ. No other foundation for entrance into the glory land save Christ. The Lord Jesus Christ is the foundation of the church. His sinless life, his atoning death, his victorious resurrection, his interceding for us, all of this is that sure foundation. The sinless life of the Lord Jesus Christ. We need a saviour who is sinless. And Christ is that saviour. His atoning work. Pointing us to the cross work of Christ. Pointing us to the place where he shed his precious blood. This atoning work my friend where Jesus gave himself to be a substitute for sinners. So that there on the cross he could bear the wrath of God. That was due to sinners. There, my friend, he is the sacrifice that satisfies to find justice on behalf of sinners like you and me. The Lord Jesus Christ in his atoning work, that is the foundation of salvation. His victorious resurrection, the fact that Jesus Christ is a living Savior, that he rose again from the third day, Uh, according to the scriptures. Today we have a sinless saviour. Today we have a saviour who suffered and who sacrificed for us. Today my friend we have a saviour who has risen again from the dead and he is interceding on behalf of his saved people in glory. This is the foundation of the church. This is the foundation of our hope of salvation is found in the Lord Jesus Christ. And that is why he's referred to as the foundation or as the foundation stone. But again, of course, he's referred to here as the headstone. He is the head of the church. The headstone ties in and unites all the building together. And the Lord Jesus Christ does that. All believers are united in him. All believers are tied into the Lord Jesus Christ, who is the head of the church. Christ, my friend, he is the head. He is the ruler of the church. He is the sovereign ruler. Christ, the only son, He is the only saviour. We read there over in Acts and in the chapter 4 in those verses 11 and 12 of Christ that neither is there salvation in any other for there is none other name given under heaven among men whereby we must be saved. And so we have here the prominence of Christ. We have the preeminence of Christ that he is the head of the church that he is the foundation of the church, that he is the foundation by which men and women can be saved. 
We see not only the prominence of Christ, but we see here the preciousness of the Lord Jesus Christ. We're reading again on those verses, and in the verse 11, this is the Lord's doing, and it is marvelous in our sight. This work of salvation done by Christ, this saving way into heaven that has been wrought by the Lord Jesus Christ, It is marvelous in our sight. Uh, The Lord Jesus Christ is spoken of in these words. He who is the foundation of salvation. He who is the head of the church. My friend, it is marvelous and he is marvelous. In other places, the Lord Jesus Christ is the stone is spoken of as being precious. We find over there in 1 Peter 2 and in the chapter 4 to whom coming as unto a living stone uh, disallowed indeed of men but chosen of God and precious ye also as living stones are built up a spiritual house and holy priesthood to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God and by Jesus Christ Wherefore also it is contained in the scripture, Behold, I lay in Zion a chief cornerstone, elect precious, and he that believeth in him shall not be confounded. Here the Lord Jesus Christ is spoken of again. But in that verse 4 we read to him, To whom coming as unto a living stone, disallowed indeed of men, but chosen of God, and precious, The Lord Jesus Christ is precious. He is chosen of God. He is the eternal Son who has been anointed by God and appointed by God to be the Savior of sinners. He is the one, my friend, that we read of here, chosen and precious unto God. So that Christ is precious to the eternal Father. But I find again, in the first seven of that same chapter, First Peter 2, that he is precious to those that believe. To those who put their trust in the Lord Jesus Christ, he is precious to them. People, here is something that is precious to us. Here is something that is marvelous. It is marvelous that God should do such a thing. It is marvellous that God should give his only dear beloved Son to be our Saviour. It is marvellous that God the Son should stoop so low uh, to be despised, uh, to be so cruelly treated, to be humiliated and to be slain in our place. It is marvellous that God should raise them up again from the dead and that God should build the church on this foundation. People, it is the subject of wonder. It is the subject of praise to all of the redeemed. How precious the Lord Jesus Christ is to those that are saved. Without Christ, there would be no salvation. Without Christ, there would be no church. All mankind would be in hell or bound for hell without a ray of hope, without the Lord Jesus Christ. That's why we say tonight, it is wonderful, it is marvellous, 
in our eyes that God should so plan and so, should so execute such a plan of redemption for sinners like you and me that he would give his own dear son, sinless son, the one who is daily his delight from all eternity, that he should give him up, that he should give him to the cross work, that there give him to be sacrificed, to be slain, to be crucified on the cross of Calvary in order to save rebellious sinners, filthy, vile sinners like you and me. People, isn't it marvelous that such should be the case? The one who is precious to the Father, and he is precious to us tonight. Oh, my friend, he is of great value. That's what the word precious really means. He is of great value to the believer. He is uh, uh, greatly loved by the believer. The word precious that is used here, it really comes to us from a Latin word which means price. The Lord Jesus Christ is precious to us. Because of the price that he paid for our salvation. His own precious blood. And he is precious to God the Father. Because he is his own dear lovely sinless son. Who obediently and willingly went to the cross. To save sinners like you and me. What a price was paid. So when we're thinking about this term, precious, and as the foundation stone of our salvation, Christ is precious because of the price that he paid in order to save us. But then we've also got the persuasion against Christ. And if we read here in these verses, in the verse 12, we read, and they sought to lay hold on him, but feared the people, for they knew that he had spoken the parable against them, and they left him and went their way. The old hypocrites, the old scribes, the old Pharisees, when they heard the Lord preaching, when they heard him speaking this parable, basing the parable on those verses that we find there in the Psalm 118, that we can see here that they were persuaded against him. Why was that? Because they knew that Christ had spoken the parable against them. They listened to the preaching and they were convicted. They knew that Christ was preaching against them. When Christ preached himself as the only way of salvation. When he referred them back to the Old Testament and showed to the, the, the scribes and the Pharisees and the people who were listening. <clears throat> and he showed them that the stone in the Psalm 118. That the stone there in Isaiah 28, it was speaking about him they knew, we read here, that the words were being applied to them as they listened. They knew the Old Testament scriptures. 
these Pharisees and these scribes and the chief priests, they knew the Old Testament scriptures. They knew that this stone referred to Christ the Messiah. They knew that back there in in, in Exodus in the chapter 17, the verse 6, that it tells there about the stone out of which came water when it was smitten. They knew it spoke of the Messiah. That it spoke of the Messiah who would be smitten. And being smitten out of him would flow the water of eternal life. That smiting of the stone was pointing to Christ on Calvary. And there on Calvary when he would be crucified from that crucified Saviour would come eternal life, would come salvation. They knew the scriptures. They knew there that in Daniel chapter 2, that the stone that was cut out without hands, that destroyed the great image, it was speaking about the Messiah and about the Messiah's power and the victory that he would have over the devil and over the devil's crowd. Uh, They knew the prophecies of the psalmist David. Here, my friend, was the Messiah. And they rejected him. We read there in that verse 10. It says the stone which the builders rejected. And these people knew that Christ was preaching against them because they had rejected him as their saviour. This stone that they disallowed, that is how uh, Peter puts it there. In 1 Peter in the chapter 2 and the verse 4, verses that we read together. The stone that they disallowed. The word means to disapprove of. These people, they disallowed the Lord. They disapproved of him. The term really literally will mean they regarded him to be unfit to be their Messiah. That is how the term uh, can well be translated. This term, my friend, which has within it the sense of dismissing as something which is faulty, something which is inadequate. That's the uh, general Uh, meaning of this term to disallow to reject it is something which is seen uh, to uh, be uh, faulty it is is something that is inadequate it is something that does approve of the term that we have this English word uh, in, in the scriptures from it really means to throw back to throw back Christ is God's chosen and appointed one. He is absolutely perfect. He is absolutely sinless. He is precious in every way. Precious to God the Father. Precious to the people of God. He has paid the price of the sinner's debt on Calvary. And yet these people... disapproved of him. Maybe there's someone in the meeting tonight 
And you may very well know your own heart. And the preacher is oftentimes set before you Christ in all of his perfection. In all of his loveliness. Christ on the cross of Calvary dying to save sinners. The sinless saviour. Maybe my friend he has been brought before you by the preacher time after time after time and what has been your reaction to that maybe dear friend it has been that you find him to be inadequate maybe it is my friend that you deem him to be unfit to be your saviour that's what this word means when we're reading here about these people who rejected Christ they regarded him as being inadequate. He wasn't fit to be their saviour. And the salvation that he purchased. The salvation that he purchased my friend for sinners like you and like me. That salvation purchased with his own blood. That salvation which he offers to you freely. What do you do with it? You throw it back in, in his face. That's what the word means. Inadequate. To be disapproved of. To throw back. Builder getting a stone. We might perhaps picture uh, builders and they're cladding a wall with granite. And they lift a stone. And they're about to uh, place it there uh, onto that wall. And uh, they look at it closely and they see a flaw in it and they say, well, this isn't for us, it can't be used and they throw it back. And my dear friend, on see if that's what you do with Christ and that's what you have been doing with Christ. He who is absolutely faultless, you have said of him, He's not fit to be my saviour. And you have thrown his salvation back to his face. Look at that verse 12 again. And at the end of that verse we read, And they left him and they went their way. Is that not what you have done? Unsaved? You've heard the gospel. You've thrown the offer of salvation back into the saviour's face. Not adequate for you. And you've left him. And you've gone your way. That's what happens when the sinner rejects Christ. You go your own way. You go in your own sinful way. In the way of unbelief. In the way of selfishness. That's what these men did here. They just left Christ. And they went on their way to their homes or wherever they were going is that not the case here we have before us then the persuasion against Christ but we've also here the punishment from Christ look at that verse 9 again what shall therefore the Lord of the vineyard do he will come and destroy the husbandmen Destruction 
That, my friend, is what is found here. I want to read together again where that word is found over there in Second Thessalonians and in the chapter 1 and the verses 7 and 8 and 9. Just let me read these verses to you and we will come across this word destruction, the very same word that is used here for the punishment of those that reject Christ. And to you who are troubled, rest with us when the Lord Jesus shall be revealed from heaven with his mighty angels in flaming fire, taking vengeance on them that obey not God, or that know not God, and that obey not the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, who shall be punished with everlasting destruction from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his power. Those who know not God, those who obey not the gospel, in other words, those who reject the gospel offer, those who reject Christ as he is presented in the gospel, those who obey not the gospel who shall be punished, how will they be punished? With everlasting destruction. Everlasting destruction. And it is speaking here of eternal damnation in hell. Destruction, my friend, which is everlasting without end. And hell is the place of eternal punishment. It is the place, my dear friend, uh, where the wrath of God is to be experienced without break. Forever and forever is the term that is used in the Revelation. Where the smoke of their torment, the torment of those who obey not the gospel, the torment of those who reject Christ, the smoke, the smoke of their torment ascends forever and ever. Eternal punishment in hell. That is what it is speaking of here. Here is a sinner. Man is a sinner. And yet God has provided salvation in Christ. He, he calls on all men to turn from their sin and to trust the Lord Jesus Christ to save them. And yet you throw this offer back in the Lord's face and you remain in the fineness of your sin. You remain in your rebellious attitude. Look at the question in the first nine. What shall therefore the Lord do? He shall punish. Justice demands punishment. The Bible says the wages of sin is death. And that's eternal death. That's eternal damnation. The Bible says that the soul that sinneth, it shall die. Sin, when it is finished, brings forth death. Scripture by scripture warns the unsaved that the end of their sin will be eternal damnation, will be eternal death. Sin must be punished. And my friend, if you refuse to have Christ as your sin bearer, then you must bear the punishment yourself. 
eternally in hell. Oh, that you might recognize the solemnity of the situation. Christ in his prominence, the foundation of the church, the head of the church, the foundation of salvation. Christ in his prominence is brought before us here in these verses. And then, of course, we have Christ in all of his preciousness doing the work of salvation, paying the price and paying the penalty for us. There are those who are persuaded against Christ, who reject the offer of salvation. But such, my friend, if you be such and you continue on in your way and you die in that state of rejecting Christ, then for all eternity you will be punished and you will bear that everlasting punishment, that everlasting destruction. You will bear it in hell forever and forever. Oh, that tonight you might see that solemnity and that you might turn to Christ in repentance of sin and throw yourself upon the Lord for mercy, that you might call upon him tonight, asking him to save you, that you might call upon him tonight, asking him to have that work uh, of redemption to be done in your heart, in your life. That you might be cleansed from sin and pardoned. That you might receive pardon from a pardoning God. May the Lord be pleased tonight to write his word upon our hearts.